Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name is Windy, and I'm joined by my psychic and acquaintance, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Bonsoir, Windy. How are you doing? I'm good. And our tactics guy and Troy Deeney hater, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Hey, mate. Uh, Bardi, welcome back. Thank you. I've missed you guys. I've missed um, just a general football chat after 17 days in a in a camper van. My wife, the football chat has been very low, so it's nice to come back and get talking about Spurs again. We need to talk about your trip, but um, I want to just reference why I called you my acquaintance rather than best friend. It's because I got called out earlier for, for carrying on calling you my best friend when clearly my best friend is now Flav, since we're doing 15 minutes with Flav and Wendy. And uh, Ricky's not very happy that I'm, I'm two-timing, so um, I, I need to correct that. Um, how was your trip? You've been all around France. It was brilliant. Did about 4,000 kilometres in the end, all the way round from Calais down the east coast, along the south coast, and then up the west and across the across Normandy. It was brilliant. Um, we wanted to do something which didn't involve um, planes or kind of mass mass groups of people. So we decided tent camper van would be the best way to do it. And uh, yeah, so it, it was fantastic. I learned a lot about the French people. Before that, I'd only ever really been to Paris and I've fallen in love with their, their culture, the way the way they eat the way they drink and uh and the, the some of the scenery out there is spectacular if you want a kind of a low risk mingling social distancing holiday then camping camper van is is the way to do it you're very brave i, I wouldn't have the guts to drive a camper van in a foreign country i don't think but uh... <laughs> you get you get used to it the middle-aged frenchmen watching this english guy trying to park <laughs> trying to park a huge camper van and along the side of it is written you can hire this vehicle as well so they they knew i was like proper camper van virgin but um hailing back to my days of driving a truck i was i reversed it into some tight spaces and some spaces where i shouldn't have even been in the first place that's <laughs> fun nice well it's good to have you back and nathan troy Dini. yep <laughs> by which i mean no <laughs> So I did like your video. Uh, Nathan put a video on uh, the Extra Inch Twitter account where he did a, a, an analysis of the potential si- signing for Spurs, Troy Deeney, which was no. Uh, and I actually don't mind Troy Deeney. I would say I, I'd go as far as saying that I quite like Troy Deeney. Um, I like him as a character. He's a very sure. honest, forthright character who I think would probably be a, a good presence in most dressing rooms. And I don't think he's a bad player either. He's a he's a handful for defenders. I see him as a sort of uh, better version of Fernando Llorente. Better but less sexy. Uh, but Considerably. I, uh, considerably <laughs> there's, sexy. there's a big gap there. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest with ourselves. Yeah, 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 definitely. But just as, just as effective, I would say more effective than Fernando Llorente in, in many ways. But I do appreciate your standpoint that he is far from the ideal Spurs sign um but we should come on to transfers well, a bit later. Okay, right? okay. Let's let's retouch on Dini later because I I do have more to say than just no. Okay, okay. I'm intrigued. We'll, we'll dangle that carrot in front of the listeners okay. and say, "Do you want that carrot? Stick with us." Uh, <laughs> Bardi, you didn't get to say goodbye to Jan Vertonghen when Nathan and I were waxing lyrical about him. Did you want to say some stuff? 
Yeah, you know, obviously Vertonghen has been like a fantastic servant to to the club, and I think his his status is probably not as great as it could have been because of timing and who he ended up playing alongside in defence. Um, had he been a different from a different era, he would be probably held in the same kind of regard as Ledley King, who who even though I adore, I've quite often said I don't think Ledley King would would have got in front of Vertonghen or Alderweireld. Um, for me, Vertonghen was probably. He was a bit too glamorous and a bit too kind of last minute sliding in tackles, which which is fine, which is great for the highlight reel and great for sharing on social media. But I've always been always preferred my defenders to be a bit more calm and a bit more in where they should be at that right time. So I will always be Toby over Jan. But he scored some great goals. He seemed like a great guy. I met him in person. He's got some of the widest shoulders I've ever seen in mm. my life for someone who doesn't seem that built. And um, I would I would like we would have been great if had he could if he could have continued. But I just don't think he's he's there anymore, and I, I just don't think he would be willing to play a bit part role at the club. So I think it's it's probably the right thing for him to move on. But um, he was great, and I remember when he scored that volley against Dortmund in the Champions League. I I was on that side of the pitch, and I watched it come across, and that was a standout performance. And unfairly, it will probably be remembered because it's totally out of character for the player he was back then. But when he did join originally, he did play a lot at left back, and, and was was very good and yeah my um, my favorite goal though is probably um the one he scored against um, Swansea away where him and Bale had a nice little combo but he, yeah a great player and it's very sad I don't think testimonials are such a thing anymore because frankly it was largely about money wasn't it for yeah. players in the 80s and 90s but I would like to think that when things are back to normal and we can get proper crowds in football stadiums that we invite Jan Vertonghen back in some way to sort of commemorate those eight years that he had with us because eight years in 2020 is probably the equivalent of 15 years in 1990. It's a hell of a long time for a player to stay with one club when, you know, if you move move around regularly, you get paid. Uh, Jan has forgotten that and he's shown loyalty to Ajax and loyalty to Spurs and it suited him and it's really suited us. But it, there's a lot to be said for it and I think it would be really nice if we can kind of show our appreciation en masse in some way in the future. So I hope Spurs will do something. I'm sure they will. They're pretty good at doing things like that generally. Um, Nathan, anything to add? I mean, I was thinking straight away, Nate, about the dog and cat thing. Yeah, yeah, mm. he's a dog. He's he's 100% a dog. Uh, he's so... a silky dog. He's like a, a golden Labrador, but he mm. is nonetheless a dog. Nice, nice. Yeah, 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 I like it. So this was Michael Cox's theory about the best centre-back pairings being made up of one who resemb- who has the characteristics of a dog and the other who has the characteristic cat. So the one who chases the ball down is, is the dog. The one who is a bit more, I don't know what's the word, laconic maybe, is, is the cat. Mm. And uh, Jan Vertonghen in, in the Toby and Jan partnership is most certainly the dog. And, and Toby is the kind of more laid back, more waiting to pounce cat of the two. Um, and that's what made them so wonderful together. They really did. They really uh, suited one another. They complemented each other perfectly. This episode is going to be a bit of a season review. Um, and I think we can just let let our minds ramble a bit when it comes to looking back over the season we just had. Uh, but to start us off, Nathan, how will you remember this season? Oh, terrible, dude. Just, just fucking awful. Um, I guess, but, I mean, like... <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those ones where, like... 
Uh, it's obviously not been great fun, uh, but I think, and this is obviously true of most seasons, but I think especially true of this season is like what happens next will really shape our memory of this season. Yeah. If if we're like if we're heading in a pretty terrible direction, then this will be like the season where things all went wrong. <laughs> Whereas if we if, if you know if, if things stabilize and this will be like you know what a transition season between yeah. you know. Maybe something of a plateau, which isn't so bad. I think I think it will really remain to be seen what kind of season we just had. Mm. Um, it was definitely hard at the time, and I think that like I was really excited going into the season. Um, I have to try and think back because it it feels strange to have been so excited about this season. Uh, I really remember feeling that excitement, even though um, even though we'd been so poor. In the back end of the previous season, yeah, we signed Ndombele and Lo Celso and Cessignon. So I was like, "Well, that fixes everything. All of our problems are solved." <laughs> and I was just really looking forward to seeing this brand new, exciting midfield. Fully aware that we still didn't have a uh, an, well, a right back or a defensive midfielder. It was it was this really weird place with the summer where it was like <laughs> like the summer before we bought no one and we sort of acclimatized to being like a post transfers club, like the the. <laughs> The, the bar had been lowered so much that when you, you know, you break the, the, the transfer record on an absolute star in Ndombele and also by two brilliant, brilliant players in La Celso and Cessna, you go, wow, what an incredible summer we had. And I did at the time, like, mm. obviously say, you know, oh, we do also definitely still have issues at right back and in defensive midfield. Yeah. But it, it wasn't like a, and therefore, everything's going to go horribly wrong it was this sort of light nagging feeling of oh i'm, I'm sort of slightly worried about this thing but <laughs> hey i'm mainly i'm excited about Ndombele and lacelso and sesson i really yeah. hate the phrase papering over the cracks but it, it basically was that <laughs> i mean i was convinced that we would put a title challenge in because of the three-year cycle thing where i was just like man city which they did end up having a, a, a three-year cycle where they, they kind of fell off what I didn't expect was Liverpool to start so well and then be able to maintain that kind of form throughout the season. And yeah, I'd, even though Spurs lack players in significant areas, I didn't expect us to um, to suffer so badly. And for Pochettino, Lloris breaking his arm, and then the Bayern Munich, Colchester, all of that kind of stuff, it was it it did seem after after a, such a summer of optimism, and then we start the season, Aston Villa at home, we go one nil down, and but we still turn it around. Then we have that battling draw at Manchester City even at that point I was just like hey a draw away at Manchester City is going to be a good thing for our title aspirations but then slowly <laughs> the season fell apart the, the Newcastle game at home where we lost 1-0 it was just watching watching us repeat the same the same problems we had last season but without Lorente to kind of whack the ball up to um, I also think our, our team probably didn't maybe adapt to VAR immediately I thought there was some penalties we could have got and then, yeah, there was just a, a culmination of errors which ended up making the football, even under Pochettino, really depressing and really bad to watch. The the, cult, the the Bayern Munich game, I remember sitting there in the stadium, which was half empty because we were getting smashed and just thinking, what's happened to this football club? And then everything else that came with it, Mourinho, then the Kane, then the Sun injuries. But 
But I ended the season feeling rather optimistic. We ended okay. We ended up being a lot closer to the top four than I could ever have imagined. And I think I think there's still things to be optimistic about. If the Huyberg transfer goes through, I think that, that's a good, sensible signing. So I'm I'm, op- I'm optimistic. I always end up having to be optimistic. But uh, I am optimistic for next season. I'm not as title challenge optimistic, but I think we'll be better. And I think we'll probably secure top four or at least go to this final day with top four in sight. Nathan, what kind of memories do you have of uh, various points of the season? Uh, well, the strongest memory will be, um, obviously, Pochettino sacking, um, getting through you uh, various TV interviews up by um, White Hot Lane for the oh, next God, day. Oh, God, I forgot about that, yeah. Not not sleeping all night. Super Knowing fun. I had to be up early and... and, and pretty agitated by the news and then in the early hours but just as i'm about to get the train seeing the news that uh the interview would now be about our new appointment Mourinho. <laughs> and you, of... you you're already low levels of excitement were even lower <laughs> i think i mean i okay <laughs> i get um what I would say is a fair amount of of criticism about my my bias against Mourinho. The truth is that I am much, much more heavily biased against Mourinho than I try to allow myself (laughs) to let off. I really, really intensely and have for a long time dislike him as a person and a coach. And I wind that in quite a bit from where (laughs) I am. So when I found that news and when I was interviewed about that news, I was genuinely very annoyed about it. Uh, that, I guess, <laughs> is the, the sort of inescapable memory of the season. Wow, yeah. And and yet, I remember when Pochettino was sacked, I remember feeling... I felt guilty because I felt relief. Sure, um, I get that. I was relieved that it was over because the the last few months of Pochettino were really not good. It felt like it was going in very much the wrong direction and that he didn't know how to stop it. He didn't look well to me. He didn't look like he was enjoying life anymore and that was rubbing off on the players and I just felt really bad about the way the situation the club had, had got into and the direction of travel. Um, and yet... Obviously, there was like this huge outpouring because he was so loved by the fan base. So like, I don't remember uh, someone connected with Spurs having an outpouring like we've seen for Pochettino at various points, either when he was sacked, when all the mes- personalised messages came out from him, or then the interview he did with, with BT Sport subsequently, where he reminded everyone how much he still loves Spurs. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, there, I mean, it's unprecedented that there's an outpouring like that for someone who's no longer connected with the club. I mean, uh, but- Sorry, I remember at the time, sort of on this podcast, saying that it was a bit like going through a breakup. And I do think that that sort of stands with what you were saying about relief, because I do think that that is sometimes often sort of one of the aspects of a, of an emotional breakup. Yeah. In one way or another is that sense of relief and that sort of, like you're saying, that, that continued fondness, um, but from a distance. Mm. And do you feel a bit like Bardi that where we've ended is not the end of the world and no of course it's not yeah yeah I mean, I would, I would like to talk about the beating Man City at home was, uh, yeah, was a great game. I, a game I thoroughly enjoyed. I thought, um, some of our Champions League performances were, were okay after, after the 7-2 drubbing. I thought we showed a lot of character to come back from that. That's true. That's true. Unfortunately, we came up against a Red Bull team, which was, which was flying at that moment. And we were struggling without a striker. I think, I think maybe we could have done a bit better had we had Kane and Son available. 
obviously the the FA Cup defeat to Norwich was was a disaster, and I, I still don't understand why Michel Vaughan was in goal for that. And throughout the Jan Vertonghen departure, I was upset that Michel Vaughan was being put into the same sentence each time by the club because <laughs> we can we knew, we needed to separate the two of them. It was like Jan Vertonghen, amazing servant, Michel Vaughan cost us three FA Cups, so there needed to be the gap between the two of them. Yeah, you're right. You're you're absolutely right on that. Um, the other moment that sticks in my mind is the Leicester game because of the VAR incident. I think we were the, hmm. it was the first time that we'd seen VAR have an impact in, in the Premier League for Spurs. Um, but I also think it might have been one of the like uh, earliest examples of a very borderline decision. Yeah. And that felt very odd. That felt very strange. And that Leicester defeat felt really unfair. <laughs> And given that Leicester were a kind of a rival already at that point, uh, it, that felt quite big, that, that defeat. It, it sort of felt like a six-pointer, even though it was so early in the season. Uh, and it kind of, in some ways, it set the tone for the rest of the season because we'd been going okay up until then. We'd, we'd, we'd only lost one, at least. Um, yeah, there, yeah. There, there have been some real low points, I think. Like Barley yeah. mentioned the Norwich game, that, that stands out, but the 7-2 as well. But I don't know if you remember, I was watching the 7-2 and we were really good the first half. You know, we, and Dombele was controlling things, yeah. he was putting the ball through, but then, then kind of like the end of Pochettino's era, it just fell apart. But actually, the, the 3-0 against Brighton was Jesus. Really the, yeah. the lowest of the low points. <laughs> that was dark. That was yeah. really dark. Which followed the 7-2, didn't it, if I remember correctly? Yeah, yeah. Game after. The, the next game. days apart. So our spirit had probably it. been broken, right, from the 7-2, but mm. it, Brighton was just horrendous in every way. I mean, from the opening couple of minutes where Lloris makes that horrendous mistake, uh, I think it's like two or three minutes in, yeah. he, he breaks his elbow, and then we just couldn't even put three or four passes together. I mean, this wasn't a Brighton team that was flying by any stretch. I think Aaron Connolly might have been making his first start, uh, yeah. and subsequently he's gone on to have a pretty much a nothing season season uh, but we made him look like the next best new thing it was insane how how they put us to the sword and how broken we looked as a, as a team as a squad um and it did feel a matter of time before Levy had to make a decision. Uh, Barney, what do you think, in hindsight, knowing what we know now, do you think we should have waited until January to see if things picked up for Pochettino? Um, probably not. The, it, it, was turning, it was turning against him. The, we weren't getting much out of the, out of the players. The, the, the Pochettino's final game with the 1-1 against South, uh, Sheffield United, the, there, wasn't, there wasn't anything from that match that made me think he, he was going to turn it around. I think going back in time, Pochettino probably should have left after the Champions League final which it seemed to be indicating that way had we won he probably would have walked I think the brave decision then would have been to say look let's change things now but hindsight's a wonderful thing um, we finished six we beat Man City at home we beat Arsenal at home we didn't lose to Arsenal this season so there's, there's plenty of stuff to be reasonably positive about but those there were some dark days dark days around Christmas time and that period where we had no strikers was, was probably the, the worst I felt watching Tottenham in a long, long time. Even at least under Sherwood, we at least had some form of attacking threat. But we were just kind of lo- lobbing the ball up to Delhi and absolutely running Bergwijn into the ground. He had like I don't think he had any hamstrings left by the time he finally collapsed. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and we brought Mourinho in, Nathan, and. <sighs> 
I think there's different ways you can look at the acquisition of Jose Mourinho. You could say that if you're looking at it very simplistically, Daniel Levy appoints a manager who is very good at winning trophies and Hmm. is a big name, a big draw. He can maintain uh, our status, in a sense. If you're looking at it a little bit more analytically, you might say Mourinho is a ruthless manager. Our squad needs someone ruthless to decide who stays and who goes, and Mourinho will oversee that. And perhaps if you're looking at it more cynically, you might say Mourinho is a manager who can grind out results. (laughs) And given that we are not uh, enjoying the full revenue from our stadium yet, we perhaps need a couple of years of grinding out results before we can actually fulfill our financial potential uh do you buy on do you buy any of those no I, I think it was i think it's at least from levy's perspective as much as he's an incredibly cynical character from everything that i can tell i do think that it was much, it was the 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 first of those i think it was a, a, an aspirational an opportunistic situation where he says look I, i'm about to lose you know the best manager i've ever had um and i have a great fondness for him but i have to let him go um and i i am i assume and this is sort of sort of wildly guessing but i imagine as we allude that that buy-in followed by brighton game was sort of a final nail but he wasn't going to sack him on site he was going to wait for an opportunity to come up and i think a few weeks later Mm -hmm. several weeks later and things had even began to pick up a tiny bit uh but but a few weeks later Mourinho made himself available and he said you know this is a chance to to sort of hop tracks onto a similarly brilliant manager um whether that's right or wrong is is a whole different conversation but I think from Levy's perspective he was doing some very clever managing of assets and and trading out one high value thing for another high value thing at the right time mm-hmm. yeah and if you if you looked around Mourinho was a uh, he was a manager who was unattached perhaps there was Massimiliano Allegri also unattached at the same time who's who's probably still waiting for the right job but I I just think it was an opportunity to go in and get a manager without having to buy without a buyout clause he just spent probably quite a lot of money getting rid of Pochettino and even and, it, and Mourinho is a Galactico manager love him or hate him he is, he is one of the, the most high profile managers there are and he was available and I think I think you've got to give some credit to Spurs for having the, maybe perhaps not the football philosophy aspirations but the aspiration of, of signing a, a global figure like Mourinho and putting him in charge of the club if you look what Arsenal have done but when they replaced Emery they went out and got Arteta who's very much a work in progress um, instead of going out and trying to sign the Allegri, you know, so I, I, you got to give credit to Spurs for showing the ambition to go out and get Mourinho. Whether or not it will be the right signing, we'll have to wait another year or so. This won't be popular at all, hmm. but um, <laughs> I, I, I really like Arteta, um, and I would rather like if we if we had an ex-player who had uh, been working with Pep Guardiola or an, another manager in that kind of profile, Simeone or Conte, someone like that, someone who has, you know, tactical acumen and someone who, a good figure to learn from. If we had an ex-player who'd been doing all that stuff, I would have been up for us going for it. Like, because there's an element of 
No, you get, okay, you get so a no. fair amount of goodwill, don't you, just from having an ex-player involved. You're, you're buying goodwill, though. You're buy, You're looking at the Arsenal fan base who are extremely fickle, and you're buying goodwill. <laughs> had Arteta, say, had Arteta not won the FA Cup, had they finished how they finished the season, had he not been Mikel Arteta, had he been Eddie Howe or anybody like that, he would have been out there. He would have been attacked by the club. So they were very smart by buying goodwill. So they they bought an extra six months by approaching Arteta, but. Also, it, the, the, it, we don't have that kind of player. We don't no. have that ex-player in position. What we do have now, and we might touch onto that, is Ledley King finally moving out from his ambassadorial role into a coaching role. And um, there, are, uh, there have been comments about how Ledley, since he's joined the backroom staff, how our goals conceded has changed. But I don't know. If you can that. I, don't <laughs> yeah. know. <laughs> I don't know if you can link the two. It's like when... <laughs> When um, Wenger put Steve Bold as his number two, they thought Arsenal would all of a sudden stop conceding goals. It's not quite how it works, <laughs> but uh, we do. At least we do have that kind of possible succession thing in place. Maybe. Yeah. No. I, I think that's. A, I think that's 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 very true. Um, uh, the closest we have to Arteta is Scott Parker, and he's he's way too inexperienced at this point to to be a manager of Tottenham Hotspur. That's for sure. Um, it's it's the kind of it's the goodwill, but it's also the club DNA element of it that I like. And also with Arteta, and this is what I was getting at with the fact that he's been working under Guardiola, is there's a there's a level of tactical and tactical knowledge, and there's a philosophy there. And I'm I can already see in Arsenal how improved they are as a as a unit. They might not be the best, like in terms of their individual defensive players. They've got some nightmare players there who I think are awful. Like Mustafi is just useless. Uh, Louise is you know Louise is Louise. He has a run of great games and then plays like muck for a match and and makes a fool of himself. But there is a philosophy there at Arsenal and I, I, I do think they're going to be a good team under Arteta annoyingly but no I, I get what you're saying though Bardi that you know Levy had a decision to make it was not an easy decision he needed someone to come in and steady the ship very quickly because we were going rapidly in the wrong direction and it's difficult to argue that Mourinho hasn't done that I mean he has done that he's he's guided us to a strong finish uh, I, I don't think anyone would say otherwise it's it's the other baggage that comes with him that is the issue and it's the kind of looking forward that is the issue if but as you said he he's probably brought in to rebuild the squad and rebuilding the squad is never going to be a nice thing and um, if we continue to, sh- to ship out players that we don't need uh, be a bit more ruthless mm. and convince the chairman to be able to sell players maybe perhaps a few million under value in order to improve the squad and and get things moving then 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 he'll be good he'll be he's a good sure so thinking forward nathan how are you feeling right now so end of a season you've got Mourinho, got him for another two years probably how do you feel right now about the future of spurs for the next couple of years um negatively but not that much i i'm sort of in a a, a fairly neutral place uh, where i'm sort of firstly Mourinho has very much arrested our form made us functional this is what we've been saying for the last few weeks the post lockdown stretch has been i'll say impressive is what it's been um the question is and what we won't now know for a while is how is he intending for us to approach our play next season? Um, if it's going to be more of what we've seen, but maybe with a slightly better squad, um, then I'm not looking forward to watching that, to be honest. And it might be, you know, the effectiveness may well continue. 
Um, it it won't be very fun for me. But maybe he will try to do something more expansive. That, to me, seemed to be more what he was getting towards immediately at first, pre-lockdown. Maybe it's a matter of transitioning away from the way that we used to play towards how, you know, something more in his image, in which case, I think that's a shame. Um, and it also, you know, depends on what kind of summer we're about to have because this squad, obviously, again, is very, very special, very, very talented, up and down. A lot of very good players in this squad, but the balance is all over the place and there are some big holes. Um, so it's, it's very much an unknown. Um, like I said earlier, I'm trying, <laughs> I'm really trying <laughs> to be more optimistic about Mourinho than I want to be. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of in a, an open-minded place at the moment. And how about you, Bardi? How are you feeling about the next couple of years? If Tottenham make good practical signings, then I will be more confident in how we're going to play. I think, like Nathan said, I think we've developed a system since post-lockdown that got us the point that we needed to finish in the Europa League places. But now I want to see us um, improve those weak areas. And I think we'll, I think we'll get an under, I think we'll get an idea at least of what football Mourinho will play by the by the signings we make. What kind of right back is he going to buy? What kind of left back is he? Is you're going to get whether or not we continue with Davies who who doesn't provide anything going forward anymore and um, what we do with Endombele the club seem unwilling to sell him um, which means that he's going to be part of the plans we're not we're not going to keep Endombele and just not have him on the bench anymore so if we're going to keep him there there's reason to be optimistic there that he's he will have a massive role to play because he's too expensive to to let train with the kid. That's it. And I think if we see transfer movements that go in the direction that I would like to see the club go, I will feel a hell of a lot better about Mourinho. Uh, and Dombele's the big one. He's the obvious one. If, if we can keep him, don't like just get rid of the first opportunity and give him a real run, give him a real chance and put some faith in him. I'll feel so much better about the state of the club. But not just that. Like, I would like to see us move on from players like Sissoko, who's, who's 30 now. He's nearly 31. He doesn't offer that much in any way. He's at best going to be a squad player. Set, let's set, let's sell him. Let's move on from him. Same with, we need to, we need to get rid of Rose. We probably need to get rid of Lamella. I would like to see us get rid of Lucas Moura while there's a bit of value in him. My suspicion is that Mourinho will keep all of those players. Uh, and I find that sad, but I need, I need to be open-minded because he might not. He might make decisions that I agree with, and that's what I want to believe will happen. I want to believe that the way he'll make his transfer kitty is by getting rid of the players that, in my view, it makes sense to get rid of, rather than Ndombele, who I think is a potentially world-class central midfielder who will improve us. I mean, I, I would I would accept selling Ndombele if the money is spent wisely and if the money is used correctly. I'm not saying that's, a, that's the, the thing we should do, but I, I, I will accept selling Ndombele for the greater good of the squad if it buys us a left-back and, and, and a right-back then perhaps maybe but I, I also agree that we can't sell in Dombele then start next season with Winks Hoiberg and Sissoko in centre midfield that's just that's just that's not going to do anything that's we might as well just pay the money now and finish seventh that's that's all that midfield says exactly so let's let's talk a bit about transfer business there's actually already been some some movement so Troy Parrott has gone on loan to Mill 
football for the season, which I think is a really, really good move uh, for Troy Parrott. I, I tweeted that I think he'll get 15 plus goals in the championship for Millwall. It wouldn't surprise me if he got 20. He's, he's really good. And I think he'll fit, fit in well there. I was really pleased that it was done early. It means he gets to spend the whole of preseason bonding with the team, uh, learning how they play, fitting into their style. And that bows really well. But, um, Dan Kilpatrick's written recently that we will also be looking to get Oliver Skip out on loan. He's being linked with Fulham, which makes which is very interesting now they've been promoted. We might even consider offloading Ryan Sessignon on loan for the season. The club mm-hmm. are also willing to sell Rose, Walker-Peters, Foyt and Aurier. Uh, Dan says that the club are reluctant to lose Ndombele. And he talks about incomings. He talks about Hoybier. He talks about Kim Min-Jae, Callum Wilson and David Brooke. No mention of a right-back, though. Um, <laughs> Buddy, what do you think of these links? Are there any players there that stand out as, as logical, as sensible? Any that you think are just agent talk? Um, I think David Brooks is probably agent talk. I, I, even though I was a big admirer of him before he got injured, I don't I don't see where he really plays in our team. Callum Wilson is, you know, I think it's going to happen a lot with Bournemouth players, these kind of mid-level Bournemouth players who are going to be in the Championship. They're too good for the Championship. I, I, it doesn't really get me too excited, Callum Wilson. Kim Min Jae is an unknown and I could see us selling Foyt and replacing him with Kim Min Jae in in the squad. Hoiberg is the is the interesting one. It seems to make a lot of sense. Um, yeah. I I think Troy Parrott's move to Millwall, like you say, is a great move. Follows also in the steps of Harry Kane. You know. Yes. So uh, there there is that link there. If you I mean if you want something to like hang on to in, in like in pure optimism hope there there is that. So and I also think it's good for Parrott just to remove him from the the, the conversation. Sometimes with these young players, we become so obsessed with them that they need minutes they need minutes and he should be playing but I think if you take him out of the pressure of the Premier League and having to be Harry Kane's backup and let him make his bones at, at Millwall and I think Neil Harris is still in charge there under under a manager who knows everything about being being a striker Skip is disappointing I would like to see Skip play more but Fulham would be a good move Sessignon is, is a, a little bit of a dagger to the heart I would like to see him get minutes for Spurs and I think probably in his own he's still young enough but I think also moving back to Fulham could be could be might hurt him mentally that maybe he, he hasn't progressed where he should be but then again it has returned to where you're from has worked for a player like Saha just to correct you it's um, Gary Rowett at Millwall now who, oh, okay. al- al- although he's a little bit he's becoming a little bit of a journeyman as a manager mm. uh, I understand that Rowett is is well respected and yeah. his his win percentage is he's second to none like it's it's <laughs> very Sherwoodian um, yeah, it's he's got a solid win percentage, and he tends to do well at most clubs he ends up at. Well, he doesn't tend to stick around that long. Potentially, is is the issue. Uh, but I think he'll be really good for for Parrot. And the hype around him joining Millwall from Millwall has been very encouraging. Like they obviously see him as a seriously big deal, um, which I'm I'm very pleased to see. Um, Nathan, <laughs> no, it, it, no, so, my, on, my championship knowledge. The kid, he was still at, <laughs> still at Millwall. I just guessed. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, I mean, he is synonymous with Millwall, isn't he? Exactly. I think you should double down, Vardy, and maintain your first position. He's still there. He's still there. (laughs) There we go. He's just wearing a Gary Rowett mask. Exactly. Um, Now that Parrot's out, Nathan, it makes it absolutely essential that we sign a backup striker, right? Yep. Okay. And who's on your list? (sighs) Uh, Troy Deeney. No. Um, (laughs) Okay. So, yeah. Um, 
in my opinion, we have maybe the best striker in the world in Harry Kane. Uh, Lewandowski's pretty good. Benzema's pretty good. Maybe Mbappe's a striker. That's a whole conversation on what positions are. That's a three-part special. Um, <laughs> and we have a very, very good young forward who's now out on loan on the championship. So we need to bridge that gap. I'm very much generally of the position that you should buy young and sell in the late 20s in a sort of buy low, sell high kind of way. Um but maybe you don't want to buy a prospect. In fact, we've tried to buy a prospect to sit on the bench behind Harry Kane. And it really hasn't worked out for us. And I don't think you want a long, long-term player to bridge this gap. You want someone for two or three years to be that sort of, yeah, I guess, Lorente-type figure who, you know, put in some good Champions League <laughs> moments, Um doesn't mind being on the bench. He's at that stage of his career where he's not trying to get minutes to develop. Um, that as a name commands enough respects from Harry Kane, perhaps that he will accept losing out a few of his, you know, 10,000 minutes a season to a player of this nature. So this is an example, a rare example where I'm saying, okay, maybe a player who is 29, 30, Thirty one is reasonable. Deanie's thirty two, isn't he? Deanie's thirty two. Yeah. Oh, I've just cut oh, that's unfortunate. I've just cut him off there. <laughs> uh, I've previously mentioned this idea around Cavani, who's even older. So um it it's it's a financial thing, is like could we get a play like what kind of wages are the likes of Cavani on? Um enormous ones in his case. Deanie, I guess not so much, but Still not that low. He's still going to be upper end of our squad, I would imagine. Um, so it's a matter of, yeah, wage size. It's a matter of, um, if, uh, deal length. So if we can get like a two year loan, if we can pick up someone on a free and do a two year deal, that kind of thing, rather than ending up with, you know, Troy Deeney 32 to age 36 <laughs> on our books. Um, <laughs> So, okay, yes, players who are the like of Troy Deeney, I guess, are not completely out of the picture, and he is one of those. I just think he's a little bit too old, a little bit too limited, a little bit too much of a personality, um, a little bit too slow for what we're looking for. But I, 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 that's, that's the argument, isn't it? So with the profile that you've just described, you can see the logic in the links to Callum Wilson, who's 28 yes. and presumably relatively well-priced comparatively because Bournemouth just been relegated yes. and, and he's 28. Uh, I mean, I would argue that there's one other alternative, Go on. which is that we sign a striker who's a bit younger, who is versatile, who doesn't need to necessarily stand in the way of Troy Parrott or Harry Kane getting minutes because they don't necessarily only need to play up front. Isn't this the Sun and Lucas type thing? Well, I'm thinking this is welcome to Tottenham Hotspur Ollie Watkins, mm. uh, who I just love. I, I love watching Ollie Watkins play. He's He's got so much that I like in a footballer in terms of work rate, yes, but genuine technical ability. His first touch is, is great. He's really good with his back to goal, but he also scores a variety of goals facing forward as well. So big, big fan. And the really attractive thing about Ollie Watkins is that he can also play play wide i mean in fact in fact he did only play wide until majority yeah fairly fairly recently um 
So, it, to me, there's talk of them having a release clause. I don't know how true it is. Some I, I tweeted about it today, and some people said the release clause thing is, isn't true. But the BBC and The Athletic have both reported that he has an £18 million release clause. That's not a lot of money. If we're talking about Wilson for £10 million, yeah. then an extra £8 million for a player who's four or five years younger, uh, to me, that seems Levy-friendly. Uh, Wilson, I like. I don't think he's a bad player, but he's only once scored more than eight Premier League goals in the season and let's remember that he although he has an injury problem which is a downside by which the way is, yeah. uh, he does tend to play a lot of games for Bournemouth so he, he scored 14 last year but other than that he's only ever scored eight in the Premier League which is a bit of a red flag to me uh, I think Watkins has a higher ceiling than Wilson and I think the added versatility really helps because you could imagine him playing like left or right wing essentially in, in the Lucas or, or Sun role in the Mourinho team so I'm, I find that a really attractive proposition and frankly if you do want to do what you described which is have a player come in for two years whilst we develop Parrots then you sign Watkins now for 18 million 24 you play him for two years if he's not wonderful by that point you then sell him for certainly no less than 18 million and he's he's done a job or maybe Parrot's loan goes horrible and you know he doesn't mature as a human and doesn't develop as a footballer and and suddenly we've bridged a gap to nowhere and we're we're desperately short as a striker as Harry Kane is approaching an older age mm. um so yeah I, I think I think that there's there's merit to that I think yeah I mean so I I'm someone who's been pro winger forwards kind of thing in the past but I've seen it sort of fail to be very good for us with Son and Lucas um so I, I was moving away from that idea, but I think Watkins is like a true winger forward where he has full seasons as a winger. He has full seasons as a forward and been yeah. brilliant in both. Yeah. So I think maybe he's sort of an exception there. Um, the, the, the sort of the, the risk <laughs> is like you end up with an aging Harry Kane, hmm. a peaking, um, Ollie Watkins and a pre-peak Troy Parrott all at the club at the same time pretty almost definitely fighting over a single place um which harry kane will demand <laughs> the vast majority of um but i guess uh you say watkins makes that okay with his versatility i think if that's the case then what you have to say is you you have to offload because we keep talking about wingers we're linked to wingers every window forever no matter how many we have we are stocked full of them i would we would have to offload Lamella and one other. For me, that one other is obviously Lucas. Um, you've you've got to clear some some room for him to play and to be a name on the. He's twenty four. So he's homegrown. Yeah. But he. Okay. Well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's buy Ollie Watkins. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> I, I negotiate just like Daniel Levy. <laughs> uh, so. Bardi, if we if we finish this window and we've signed, let's say we've signed Huybier, we've signed Kim, uh, we've signed a striker, and we've signed a right back, are you happy? Uh, reasonably happy. Suppose we tend to buy the players we don't need, and those are the kind of players we need. If Kane manages to do a season without getting injured, then I, I'm reasonably happy. I don't think I still, we're not going to come close to winning the league, but I think we can we can do something in the Europa League, perhaps win that, and put on a good fight for top four, which isn't really where we kind of wanted to be two seasons into our new stadium. But mm. uh, then 
from where we were to where we will be then, then I'll, I'll be I'll be reasonably happy and content on that. As with everything, I just want to see Spurs improve. And if, if we have to face the fact that it's just going to be marginal gains from here on in until something happens, then fine. But whether or not Jose Mourinho is the manager to be that kind of marginal gains and build something, is, is that's the that's the, the complexity, that's the problem with, with signing Mourinho. You just called him Jose, Bardi. I mean, he's literally told you this week how to pronounce his surname. <laughs> I, said before, I said to myself before we started recording, him that I wasn't going to say his first name because I knew you also called him up. Jose is that why you said that to yourself you said that it before we recorded <laughs> yeah I nearly exactly. called you at the time <laughs> I even when I when I made notes I I I, 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 I removed the Jose bit, the, the Jose ah oh god anyway Mourinho I removed Mourinho's first name from my notes <laughs> Wendy you are so pleased to be passing the buck on this so time. happy so happy yeah. right now you it you, wasn't you just, me you just concentrate on getting our Welsh left backs first uh, surname correct yeah, I got called out for that on on Reddit. I called him Ben Davies because that's yeah, how well, it's spelt. It's, yeah, it's so he, it's it's the English word Davies, so that's what he's. You know, that's I I, I I'm not accepting any criticism over that. <laughs> Uh, final thing on Mourinho from me is that although I have been really generally down on him because of his maybe because his winning personality, um, the thing that does fill me with some some optimism and really makes me feel good about what he could do is the way he's managed the youth players so far. So immediately opening up the loans, for example, uh, we we see we finally seen some fairly successful loans, uh, and I'm thinking George Marsh and and Jack Rolls were the two major beneficiaries of that. Rolls had a really good loan at, at Cambridge this season, and I suspect he'll get a championship loan off the back of that. Marsh has been at Leighton Orient, has done well. That's maybe his level, maybe he can go up one more division, but that's good. And uh, the fact that he sent Parrot out so early is really encouraging to me, and I, I hope that continues. But it's not just that, it's the fact that he's stated already that he wants to use Dennis Serkin next season. He wants to see more of Harvey White. Uh, he likes Tanganga. He's signed him to a new contract. That's that's a really positive step because I was very down on how we were developing our young players in the last two, three seasons under Pochettino. So that's a big deal to me and not because I have like... <laughs> I do I do delight in seeing our young players make it to the first team, that's true. But if they got sold, I wouldn't be that bothered. It's more the wastefulness that I resent. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got so much talent coming through our academy and we're not making the most of it. And I see I see, you know, Edwards, Onam and Walker Peters as three of the best players I saw for our academy now all doing really well, all at different clubs. Uh Walker Peters presumably transferring to Southampton. The fee is rumoured to be thirty million, which actually I think is a touch on the low side, but I, I get it um i, I kind of just think we need to start maxing out these young players and if we're not going to use them ourselves let's get them on loan let's accumulate some value let's give them some experience and let's see what happens and Mourinho seems to be doing that and that's that's all right by me i'm, I'm pleased to see that so he gets a thumbs up on that one you've been listening to the extra inch thanks to nathan a clark for production thanks to barney for being italian thanks to adam gardner for the artwork Thanks to David Lindner for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindner. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.